It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for making me a part of your day. I do appreciate it. The show is made possible by patrons to the program like Loretta and Eric, Stephen, David, Jim, Curtis, Sherry, Nick, and Mark. Thank you very much for the support. Uh, I do appreciate it. Today is a Thursday, so that means uh, we're going to be doing our live stream tonight. And so if you are a uh, patron to the program, then you get access to exclusive content, including live streams. So go check it out at thepetecalendarshow.com. And while you're there, you can click the subscribe button and then you're subscribed and the podcast comes directly to your phone every single day. You're welcome. I'm a giver. What can I say? Uh, also, Mattress Man, uh, one of the sponsors of the program from day one, actually. Mattress Man has been with the la- with us since launch. And, uh, I-, I mean, I couldn't be happier. They're great people. Chuck is a great guy, has a great business, hires really great people, veterans, actually. He makes a point to hire veterans. Uh, but also, great deals. I-, I-, I took advantage of a deal years ago. Christy and I got a, a king-size memory foam mattress, and we love it. Go pick up one of the uh, Biltmore Collection mattresses. These are the mattresses that are uh, in the hotel and in the inn at the Biltmore Estate. Uh, these are made by Restonic in Fayetteville, so you're supporting a North Carolina business and North Carolina workers when you do. All this month, they've got the triple zero deal going on right now, so you've got the zero money down, zero APR for 24 months, zero payment for 90 days. Uh, also, it doesn't matter what your credit is if you've had you know credit problems in the past it's okay they want you to have a good night's sleep and uh, that's too important uh, to let some past credit problem get in the way of your your health and so uh, just work with them they'll work with you and they'll get you a mattress all right and they got the tax refund sale going on so you buy now you pay later with no interest financing so you can sleep on the mattress right away and then you pay it off when your tax return comes in They have the Split King Mattress Blowout that continues. You can pick up a free adjustable base with the purchase of select mattresses. Uh, So these are two-piece King mattresses, so you can customize your bed one side soft, one side firm, raise the head on one side, raise the feet on the other. It's customizable. Uh, So go to mattressmanstores.com, check out the inventory, or better yet, walk into any of their four local stores in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide, by the way. They have local five-star delivery service and a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. On the program today, we're going to talk about the North Carolina Republican Party. How did it do uh, in 2020? How is it doing now? What is it doing now? And what are the prospects uh, for the coming year? So joining me now is Michael Watley. He is the chairman of the North Carolina Republican Party. And uh, welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. It is, uh, as always, a great day to be a Republican. <laughs> so uh, you've been doing this now for, uh, what, a year and a half or so. Uh, was it everything that you thought it would be when you <laughs> signed up to do this work? Yeah, you know, I really came on board because, uh, uh, you know, as we were heading into the 2020 cycle, uh, you know, having President Trump at the top of the ticket and the Senate race, the congressional races and everything else that were there. Um, and, you know, the Trump team had had really, uh, you know, asked me to do it and pushed me to do it because they wanted to make sure that they had a strong ally at the party. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had really 
good relationships with all of the members of the delegation and, and with Tom Tillis and, and Dan Forrest. So, you know, it kind of made a natural fit to, uh, to step in at that time and make sure we could do everything to, um, you know, get everybody across the line. So I want to kind of walk through just kind of past, present, future for state party. And obviously there's going to be connections here to the national scene as well. But uh, so uh, just in the past, I, the last election cycle, I saw you speak at an event in uh, the Asheville area for Senator Tillis. And I remember you said something to the effect of like, we got this many votes in 2016. And if we get this many votes again, we're going to lose. Um, is is it still looking like that? And why do you think that was the case? Yeah, no, it was absolutely the case. And, and what we saw in 2020 was absolute record setting turnout. Um, you know, we saw 81.6% uh, turnout for Republicans, which is smashes any record we've ever seen. Uh, the Democrats had huge turnout as well. Uh, the numbers were there. The 2.75 million votes that we delivered for Donald Trump is the most that we ever saw in North Carolina. Um, and even with record-setting turnout and record-setting votes, uh, we still only won by 73,000 votes. Uh, so if, if we had turned in, you know, the same, you know, 2.6 million votes that we had in 2016, uh, we would have got crushed. So it, it really was um, very uh, satisfying that, you know, we had spent uh, really, you know, two years building out a grassroots apparatus, the biggest, most robust grassroots effort in the history of the state. You know, we had uh, 10,000 volunteers that we recruited and trained. And, you know, we, we put out uh, about 59 million pieces of mail uh, to voters and uh, built an early vote program that, that was, you know, something we've never really done before in the state. And to see all of that come to the fruition and generate the kind of turnout that we did and the wins that we did uh, was really very satisfying, you know. And I think, um, you know, when you look at, at all of our judicial races, for example, you know, we won seven of our statewide races with 5149 margins. And then the last one for Chief Justice Paul Newby won by 401 votes. So if we had not spent that much time and that much effort into you know, turning out that vote and bringing in over 80 uh, percent turnout, uh, we could have had a very different result. So one of the uh, the conventional wisdom pieces of wisdom is that when turnout is high, Democrats will beat Republicans. And that seems to have been upended in this election cycle. Is it, it was this was this proof for you? Yeah, it absolutely was. I mean, we we uh, I think, you know, uh, had a, a great contest and, and worked it as hard as we can. But, uh, you know, North Carolina, when you pull it, is consistently a center-right state. And if you can, can you know, convince uh, those voters, uh, you know, not just the Republicans, but the unaffiliated voters and even some of the crossover Democrats that, that you are the center-right party, uh, then you're going to be able to connect very well. And that was really the gist of what we tried to do with all of our campaigns. Um, you know, and then with, with Donald Trump, um, the guy's a crossover machine. I mean, we've never seen anybody really since Reagan who can cross over uh, and bring, you know, working class Democrats and independents and unaffiliated voters, you know, to vote for him. Uh, and the enthusiasm that he generated, the excitement that he brought to the election, 
uh, really is what carried us across the line on all of those other races. And I know like your focus is obviously the Republican ground game. But what what, I heard uh, some of the assessment after the election that the Democrats ground game just was almost non-existent, that they hadn't done a lot of the things this time around that they had done in the past. And largely because of covid that they were, you know, when you you have a governor who's telling everybody stay home and that governor is a Democrat, uh, the Democrats are probably going to follow his advice. And that in-person door-to-door stuff, it just wasn't happening for them. Uh, how does that factor into this? Well, I think it's a big factor, you know, and again, I think the Democrats had, you know, somewhere around 74, 75 percent turnout. We had 80, you know, 81, 82 percent, um, you know, that having that ground game made all the difference in the world. And I know you know, for example, in Georgia, where where the Democrats did the same thing during the general election um, that they did here in North Carolina, which was basically, you know, it was phone calls and emails and they didn't do the doors when they went into the runoffs for those Senate runoffs. They actually went back into the field because it makes such a big difference. So, you know, we 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 did a really good job of of being able to get out there and responsibly knock on doors. We knocked on over 3 million doors statewide and had over 10 million voter contacts. Um, You know, my favorite statistic in all of politics is that if you have a five minute conversation with an undecided voter, that voter is going to be 6% more likely to go vote for you and your candidate. Um, and, And that is the sum total of all of those conversations that we had with people at the doors and with people on phones um, you know, and at events and everything else across the state. So, uh, you know, and without that, without all of that, uh, like I said, we could have had a really big differential. You know, Tom Tillis winning by 95,000 votes, Trump by 73,000 votes, and, you know, Chief Justice Newby 401 votes after a recount. You know, the, the, that's pretty tight, uh, considering we had 5.5 million voters that, yeah. that voted. So you say Donald Trump was a uh, a crossover machine that he's able to get a, a lot of votes that were historically going for Democrats. Uh, if he's not on the ballot, then what? What what, what does the party do? Because there's only like there are a lot of people I think that are talking about you know what comes after Trump and who takes over in Trump's absence. And I'm of the opinion Donald Trump is sort of a uh, a one of a kind. Like you're, we're not going to see somebody else do what he was able to do and was not able to do. He's he's a unique person in politics. So I, I'm I'm not sure there is somebody like that. So how do you replicate that kind of result without him? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And, and what we saw uh, was that we had a massive drop off in vote, in terms of uh, votes, uh, Republican voters from 2016 to 2018 because the president was not on the on the uh, on the ticket. Um, and so in 2020, we spent the first real big push that we made as a party was to go back to the voters who voted in 16, but not in 18 and get them to re-engage. And we were very successful in terms of of doing that. And again, that's, you know, part and parcel of of, uh, what the president brought to the table. So when we look at it as a party going forward, um, you know, we need to to figure out how to get those Trump voters uh, who voted for Trump, not for any other reason, and how do you convert them into Republican voters and make sure that we can get them out for all the other races. Um, you know, and I think for the Democrats, uh, they've got a lot of the same things, which is they had a lot of people that the president animated 
uh, and, and that they went out and voted against him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so their numbers were kind of inflated because Trump was on the ballot as well. And so, you know, we've got to make sure that the fall off uh, on our end is smaller than the fall off on their end. And it really is a matter of, uh, you know, taking the America first agenda that the president put together, um, you know, strong on China, strong on America, um, you know, uh, defend our borders, um, tax cuts, you know, make sure that we're lifting all workers, especially blue collar workers and the economic agenda that he put together. And that America first agenda still resonates very strongly across North Carolina. And we as a party and as candidates are going to have to take that agenda and continue to work it. Because if we try and go back to, you know, the, the, the policies that the party had prior to 2016 and return back to, you know, the party of, of John McCain and Mitt Romney, that that's just not going to work. More with Michael Watley in a minute. First, if you are thinking about buying or selling a house, then uh, think no more about who to use. Whom to use? Who? The realtor. That you need to uh, get on board here is Rowena Patton, okay, and her all-star powerhouse team. They get your house sold fast and for more money, and they have homes in all price points. They got buyers lined up, so buying or selling, they really are the only ones to call in the Asheville area. They are the only homes for heroes agents in the Asheville area as well, which means what? It means that if you are a police officer, a firefighter, healthcare professional, an educator, or a member of the military, veteran, active duty, retirees, you can keep more of your own money. You get 25% back from the realtor commissions. And Rowena has given back almost $800,000 to folks in those five professions. So give her a call. It's what Christy and I did when we went to buy our house. She is the only real estate agent I have ever endorsed. Give her a call at 333-4483, The website is mountainhomehunt.com. Give her a call, tell her you heard it here, and then start packing. I'm talking with the uh, chairman of the North Carolina Republican Party, Michael Watley. Um, This kind of leads to my next question is sort of the current state of the Republican Party. Uh, And I don't know, maybe uh, maybe you've got better terms for it. And I'm not trying to be insulting. But uh, as I understand it and as I kind of frame it, there there is this battle between the populist wing and the, for lack of a better term, the establishment wing, I guess, or the Mitt Romney or John McCain wing. Uh, is that is that a fair assessment? Is that real? And um, is that a, is that a problem? Is that an existential threat for the Republican Party? Yeah, it's a great question. And it certainly is kind of how we have always viewed, you know, the world. And, um, you know, Trump was able to bring all of the wings of the party together um, because he is absolutely a conservative populist. Um, and, and just resonated with blue collar voters in a way that no Republican really has, you know, for decades, if not, you know, longer. Um, and, and at the same time, his economic policies that worked so well for the economy really resonated with, you know, the establishment, uh, small business owners um, and, and other leaders, you know, from the business community. So he was able to kind of pull all of that together. And, and I would say right now, um, you know, that we certainly have a populist wing and we certainly have an establishment wing. Um, I think that Joe Biden is going to unify them. Um, hmm. And I think that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer uh, and the agendas that we're seeing coming out of the first, you know, 45 executive actions in two weeks that we've seen from President Biden, uh, the legislation that, that is already starting to move, you know, through the House and the Senate on immigration and D.C. statehood 
and all of the other things that they're going to be pushing, uh, you know, that's not an agenda that's going to work for North Carolina at all. Um, and I think that uh, even when we're talking about how do we keep unaffiliated voters, uh, you know, to, to, to come in and pull the Republican lever, uh, I think that, that Joe Biden is going to do far more to unify us than anything that we're going to be able to do ourselves here in 2021. So what of the uh, the January 6th uh, riot at the Capitol? And I've seen reports that people are canceling their registration as Republicans. And of course, North Carolina, you can vote if you're an unaffiliated. You can still go vote in the Republican primary. So uh, with the open primary system we have here, um, are you seeing sort of defections from the party? Did that event have do you think it's going to have a lasting impact on your party? Well, let me give you two answers on that. And, yeah. the, and the first is, you know, just addressing the events of January 6th. And I have to say, you know, that, that we were appalled uh, by what happened on the 6th, that there is absolutely no justification, no excuse, no rationale uh, that, that you can bring to the table uh, to, to, to try and rationalize what happened there. Um, it was, you know, that, that you had, you know, that group of people uh, storming the Capitol responsible for now, you know, six deaths. Um, you know, that, that there's there's no way uh, that anybody can try and defend that uh, those actions. Now, that being said, um, you know, that, that not uh, everybody who was in Washington, D.C., who rode on a bus up there, who marched, who prayed, who protested, got back on a bus and left uh, is complicit in any way, shape or form with those. And nor is the Republican Party as a whole. Um, I mean, we, most of the people that, that, that have been arrested were not necessarily Republican voters. Uh, there are certainly Trump supporters in there, mm-hmm. uh, but we've also seen others, you know, and, and we're going to unequivocally uh, condemn those actions. You know, in terms of, you know, what we saw there, what we saw after the elections, what we saw coming out of the elections, you know, in North Carolina, I think the, the first set of stats that I saw was, um, you know, that, that we had 11,000 uh, Republicans uh, go to affiliate we had 5,000, 6,000 new Republicans that came into the party. Um, that's natural after mm. an election cycle, you know, and we saw a lot of people who left the Democratic Party and went to unaffiliated. And we saw a lot of people who either Democrat or unaffiliated became Republicans just because they wanted to vote for Trump. Um, and, and so I think it's a natural thing that once people got a chance to vote for Trump, carried the state here, that they would go back to being an unaffiliated vote. You know, that now, obviously, if we saw a trend line like that over the course of an entire year, that would that would give me some pause. Yeah. Um, But, uh, you know, I don't I don't expect that we're going to see it, you know, look like that. Um, You know, look, I I think that, you know, you've got um, a big chunk of the Republican Party that is, you know, horrified over the events that we saw up at the Capitol. You also have a big chunk of the Republican Party who is horrified at what they see as election uh, fraud uh, and and the instances that we saw in those other states um, and feel that, you know, that, that that had a detrimental impact on President Trump and his campaign. And, you know, those are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Right. Um, you know, and so as, as far as we're concerned for the Republican Party, our message is we had a fantastic set of elections here in North Carolina. You know, we won the Council of State. We won all eight judicial races. Um, you know, Tom Tillis, we had three contested elections in Congress that were fairly close. And we won with Madison Cawthorn and Richard Hudson and, and Dan Bishop and, and strong, you know, wins there. 
that that's great, right? And then obviously we didn't take the House and we we lost the Senate, we lost the White House. That's really bad, um, you know. So as we're kind of coming to grips with what happened on January sixth, and how do you move forward? Um, you know, it really is going to come down to if a big chunk of the party leaves after we only had very narrow margins and an 81 percent turnout. That's a problem. Um, and so, you know, we, we really want to make sure that we're going to work registration. We're going to work to keep all of those people in the party. And again, I really do think that when the American people and, and particularly those unaffiliated independent voters really take a hard look at the Biden, Pelosi, Schumer agenda, they're going to recoil from it. I mean, this this is an agenda that just is not, you know, uh, in sync with North Carolina being a center right state. Well, and I guess to your point, though, uh, about the voter turnout, particularly among Trump voters that might not necessarily have been historical Republican voters in Georgia, I saw after the fact that there were uh, there was a big drop off in uh, Trump voters not turning out to vote for Leffler and Purdue um, because they were not deemed to be populist enough or Trumpian enough. Um, and, and and that's kind of, you know, the, the coalition that is your party, right, that you, you have these what seem to be sometimes at odds constituencies. You know, it, it's sort of like the the check for two thousand dollars, like the stimulus check or whatever, like as a populist. That's a no-brainer. You do it, right? You you write the check, you send it out, and uh, and you move on because the populist uh, uh, I, I, idea would be that's going to get you the most amount of support. But it ran right up against this, you know, fiscal restraint kind of uh, mentality, and that probably hurt those two candidates down there. Um, so how do you how do you balance what can be these competing wings that are at odds with each other on something like that? Yeah, look, I, I, that's a great question. It's a, you know, it's a really uh, existential kind of thing for us to be able to figure out. And, and I'll go back to, you know, looking at primary politics as well as general election politics, but in primary politics, um, you know, I just don't think that we're going to see uh, a lot of support in primaries across North Carolina or the country uh, for any candidate that's not going to move forward with the America first agenda, mm-hmm. um, you know, and 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 we're still going to be tough on China and we're still going to be pro Second Amendment and we're still going to be pro life, um, you know, and and that's that's really the pathway that we're going to move forward with it. Um, you know, what Trump was able to do uh, with his policy and agenda was really make sure uh, that first we we unleashed the American economy and that was tax cuts and regulatory relief and really designing uh, all of the the policies that were coming out of you know the administration to be focused on small businesses and helping them to succeed because that's where employment comes from that's where we see you know the growth that we saw um, you know from uh, 17 18 and 19 before COVID hit um, at the same time you know as as a populist he was able to fight on a lot of the populist fronts and, and you look at what he did on the judges and being the most pro-life you know, president we've ever seen, that it really was able to marry all of those folks together. Um, you know, and, and I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me, you know, I just wish you wouldn't tweet like that or I wish you wouldn't talk <laughs> like that. You know, and, and I get that, right? But, but from a policy perspective, um, universal success. And so that's how Republicans are really gonna have to view the world, you know? And, and I don't think, 
we need candidates who are going to go out and be bombastic and attack people and, you know, come up with with nicknames for for their opponents as much as we're going to have to have candidates who are going to adopt that agenda and explain to voters why this agenda is better than the Democratic agenda, uh, whether it's on, you know, uh, transgender athletes, you know, with with men competing in women's events or it's, you know, reversing the Mexico City policy and having taxpayer, you know, funded abortions both here and abroad. You know, there, there's a number of ways where the Democratic agenda is just contrary to what America wants to see done. Um, and you have to, as, as Ronald Reagan said, you know, paint yourself in bold colors mm-hmm. uh, as, as, as a policy and really go out there and explain to the voters, I'm for this, I'm not for that. So this America first agenda, and I think you, you, you talked about the tweets uh, as well, which I, this was when I was uh, arguing against, actually, the nomination of Donald Trump in the 2016 primary. Uh, this was the biggest concern that I had was that, that just at a personal level, there would be a lot of people that don't like him and as manifest in his tweets. Right. Um, but I, but what I w- the response I would always get and you've probably heard it, too, was he fights. Pete, he fights, yeah. right? And it and they were willing to, a lot of his supporters were willing to ignore all of that other stuff. It really wasn't even about policy for them. It was a sense that he was going to fight for their interests, even if he wasn't. It was just a sense that they believed he was. So yeah. uh, you say this, the America First agenda, we're now talking, I guess, about like the path forward for the party is to to recognize the value of those positions, uh, but but not be the 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 tweeter all the time, but but also to to be able to go toe to toe with some of these assaults, because a lot of times it seems like Republicans are just, you know, they're happier to surrender on some of these attacks rather than fight back because they don't want to get called bad names. You know, could not agree more. And I will say this, you know, that, that you know, I've been in politics for 35 years now. And since the first time I ever paid any attention to this, Republicans have always complained about the media being unfair, about the media being biased. <laughs> right. Yeah. Trump's the first person to ever do anything about it. You know, and he created a personal communications platform through Twitter and Facebook and went absolutely to the masses and was able to communicate them with them directly right and and really neutered the press because all the press could do was report about his tweets and say bad things about him but when you have hundreds of millions of people across the world and here in the united states that are are tuning in to every tweet uh and 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 on his facebook posts and he's the number one you know communicator in the world on those platforms he really was able to directly communicate in a way no other candidate has ever done um, and, and yeah, I mean, when, and when him being a fighter, um, you know, could not agree more. You, you really got, um, his ability to tell people I'm fighting for you and have that connect like nobody else did. And so, you know, really when we look at candidates going forward, is there going to be another Trump? No, I mean, you're, you're exactly right that he is truly a one of a kind phenomenon, but I do think that there are lessons that any candidate can learn from watching the way that he kind of came through 2015 and 16 and the way that he ran um, as president, because he never was going to back down on any of those issues once they, you know, became entrenched with this is the right way to go forward. And you can lose if you're fighting, 
Um, but you're not going to win if you're not fighting. Mm -hmm. Um, what it, it always amazed me how many people in media seemed to have a job simply, uh, to tell me what Donald Trump tweeted, which I'm not sure if they were aware, like I could read his tweets too. I don't need you as the reporter to tell me what he just said on Twitter. I can see them too. Um, but apparently like he was maybe, you know, great for job creation, I guess I'm amazed at. Uh, at, at some of the roles the media play uh, in, in that regard, they're not, now he's not around anymore on Twitter, so uh, they're they're definitely hurting for content, I think. But he's not gone away, and so this this goes into also the future of the party as well. Like, what if he? I'm assuming he, he's not going to just exit stage right. He's going to stick around and try to exert influence inside the party. So do you have any idea of what that might look like? And is that a good thing, a bad thing? What do you think? Well, he's certainly not going to go back to Mar-a-Lago with his tail between his legs. There's there's no question about that. And he does want to continue to play uh, a role in, in shaping the party and, and moving the, the party agenda forward. You know, to, to him, this was more of a movement than a campaign. Um, and and he definitely is going to want to to continue to push that forward. I think in 2022, what we're going to see is him engage, you know, they've set up a super PAC uh, that he's going to be working with Save America. Um, and, you know, he's going to support, uh, call it pro-Trump candidates um, or America first candidates uh, in various races all around the country. I think that he will probably engage in, in some of the primaries. And I know he will definitely engage in, in the generals. Um, you know, he had a meeting last week with, uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy mm -hmm. and um, great, great conversation that they had down in Florida. And he committed to doing everything he can to make sure that the Republicans win, uh, get the house back and, and put Nancy Pelosi out to pasture and put Kevin McCarthy in as the speaker. So he's going to continue to, to fight for Republican candidates and, and fight for those policies uh, just, you know, in 22 going to be kind of similar to what we saw in 18 with without him in the White House. So we're not sure exactly what form that's going to take. We'll, we'll wait and see. And it's only been you know a few weeks since he's been out of office. So, yeah, uh, they're they're putting all that together at this point. Sure. Yeah. My guest is Michael Watley. He is the chairman of the North Carolina Republican Party. Um, and let me take a minute here to tell you about a product that I take every single night before I go to bed. Growers Hemp Full Spectrum Hemp Extract. These are North Carolina farmers. And they got together and they said, you know what, we're tired of all of these companies from, you know, the West Coast coming in promising a whole bunch of stuff to North Carolina farmers and then not delivering. So why don't we control this process? And that's what they did. They set about uh, building this company, Growers Hemp. Uh, and so they control everything from the seed all the way to the shelf. And that means better quality, controlled quality, right? Uh, because that's a big problem. You know, like a lot of this stuff, it's like Wild West in the in the hemp industry. And so Growers Hemp is trying to fight against all of that. That's why we say it's about the hemp and not the hype. They're about, you know, controls for consumer safety and giving you a quality product at a lower price. Growers Hemp Full Spectrum Hemp Extract. I take it and I sleep more deeply than I ever have before. I was the kind of person who would lay in bed for like an hour before I could fall asleep. And then I would kind of toss and turn throughout the night. Just my brain could never, you know, shut down and then stay asleep. So, uh, you know, I'd end up laying in bed for like 10 hours, but only getting like six hours of sleep. I mean, that might be a bit of an exaggeration, but not much. 
GrowersHemp.com. Use the promo code PETE and you'll get 20% off. As with all CBD products, here is the official disclaimer that GovCo requires. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Growers Hemp, again, growershemp.com. You can find it on the shelves at the Broad River Hemp Company in Shelby, the Medical Pharmacy in Locust, the Durham Co-op, and at growershemp.com. Promo code Pete for 20% off Growers Hemp. It's about the hemp and not the hype. I'm talking with the North Carolina Republican Party Chairman Michael Watley, uh, and we've covered a lot of stuff here, and uh, we were talking uh, before the the ad there about uh, unity and about these calls for unity uh, that we're hearing from Democrats. And uh, you say this is not really about a call for unity. It's a call for conformity, right, that these are specious calls for unity. My first job in politics uh, was on the Senate floor, Uh, when you had Trent Lott as the Senate Majority Leader and Tom Daschle as the Minority Leader. And I saw them spend hours and hours and hours working through legislation to come up with a bipartisan bill. And and yes, those on the left and those on the right would always vote against it. You know, so you had, you know, 20 Democrats vote no and 20 Republicans vote no and 60, you know, others who voted yes. And that's how you got your bills done. Um, They're not operating that way right now at all. Hmm. Um, And I think that uh, when you look at how Nancy Pelosi has run the House, um, which has been one of the most, you know, abject partisan houses we've ever seen, uh, the fact that they, you know, tried to, you know, uh, remove a president after he's already left office, um, you know, without a single hearing, without a single shred of evidence and not allowing the president to defend himself all of which violate the House rules that they adopted themselves. Um, and we've, we've seen example after example after example of them moving bills and running roughshod over the Republicans. And you just kind of have to uh, kind of, I, I guess, accept that that is the way the House is going to be as long as Nancy Pelosi is speaker. And I think, you know, Chuck Schumer has got to understand, um, you know, that you're not going to be able to get anything through the Senate if, if you try and jam it that way, because the Republicans just have too many levers and too many tools to be able to slow things down. So uh, we're going to have to see uh, what what it looks like. But, you know, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about Raleigh or Washington, uh, the Democratic agenda uh, is, as far as they're concerned, it's their way or the highway. So what what was your first gig in politics? back then you know i was a uh, i was a staffer on the senate floor uh worked for a guy named paul coverdell from georgia who okay. ran the floor for trent lott um just a really neat unique experience to get to do that and uh you know kind of turn that into uh, opportunity to work for president bush at the department of energy and come back to the senate and be elizabeth dole's chief of staff i mean the government uh service for me was really um, you know, kind of formed my my positioning on a lot of how I try and run as the chair. But I always understood uh, that there is, you know, if you ask for half a loaf, you'll get a quarter. Um, and if you, you know, expect a full loaf, then you're going to lose. Mm. And, uh, you know, that that's the way that government needs to work. And And what we've seen, you know, from Joe Biden, who, by the way, said, that anybody who rules by executive order is a dictator yeah. uh, who's then turned around and had 45 executive orders in the first two weeks, which shatters 
every record, including, you know, the number that, that President Trump put in, uh, it, it, it really does not, the actions do not uh, follow uh, the words. Uh, so last question, what does the next uh, year look like for you? You've got the U.S. Senate race coming up, so obviously there's going to be a primary. Uh, it seems like now it's already begun, <laughs> which is kind of insane. Uh, people are already starting to put their names out there for this U.S. Senate race. So what does the next year look like for you? Well, we're starting the 2022 uh, cycle uh, really right now because we've got uh, our convention process for the Republicans. We start with precinct conventions are, are going to be held in February and county conventions in March and district conventions in April. We've got a state convention in June. Um, but when you look at, at the races that are out there, uh, redistricting is going to play an absolutely huge part uh, of the election cycle. And we're not expecting to get you know, census data until this summer, but then we'll have new maps uh, come this fall. So uh, the Senate race obviously is going to be a huge part. Uh, we have to hold that if Republicans are going to retake the Senate. Um, with the redistricting, you know, we, we lost two Republican seats in the court ordered redistricting back in 2019. Uh, so we're also going to pick up a seat in the census and going to have to wait and see kind of what the what the House and the Senate come up with in terms of maps, and, and obviously that will be litigated endlessly by Eric Holder and the Democrats. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, you know, glad we have a Republican Court of Appeals and we have Chief Justice, uh, you know, Newby to, to be able to oversee that process uh, through the courts. But, um, you know, that really with the redistricting and everything else is going to be huge uh, from a Republican Party standpoint. You know, we really want to make sure that we're going to keep every Republican in the party and keep them engaged. Uh, so we're working on a very big communications push. Uh, I'm doing a lot of speeches around the state. I gave 10 speeches in 14 days last uh, you know, week and weekend, um, just trying to hit as many people and let them know the good story that we have as Republicans. And then also working a lot on voter registration and making sure that for all of the people that are moving into North Carolina, we're getting them registered. We're getting registered as Republicans, um, you know, because if, if we're going to see any sort of drop off without Donald Trump at the top of the ticket, we need to have a bigger number of registered Republicans. So we're going to be working on blocking and tackling and communicating. And we're also going to make sure that we're uh, keeping Governor Cooper and the Biden Pelosi Schumer uh, trio up in Washington, D.C. Uh, we're going to you know, hold them accountable uh, as they're lurching you know, the country and the state to the left. We need to make sure that we're going to fight back on it. North Carolina Republican Chairman Michael Watley, anything else you want to add that you think is important or interesting to note here that uh, we haven't already covered? Look, I, I will just say this, that coming out of the 2020 election cycle, uh, we're in a great position going forward. I think that that as uh, a party, uh, we have an agenda that really resonates all across North Carolina. Uh, we had fantastic turnout. We had fantastic uh, you know, election day operations and made sure uh, that, that that we kept the elections clean here in North Carolina. And I really do think it's a great day to be a Republican. I think we're uh, we're excited about where we're going to be going over 2022. And I really think we've got a great opportunity to kind of expand on everything that we did last year. Michael Wally, thanks for your time. I certainly appreciate you being so generous with it with us. Absolutely. Thanks, Pete.
All right, and here's something else you can appreciate, I am sure, after the the weather we have been having over the last week. Cold weather gear. Do you do you realize now that you need some better gear? <laughs> well, then head on over to Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. Uh, you can go to their website as well, oldgrouch.com, and he'll ship uh, all of this stuff basically anywhere. Um, he said, I guess I got an email from Tim the other day. He says, uh, he says, I was playing the podcast in the store, <laughs> and uh, there was a couple in there, and uh, just by coincidence, it just so happens that the podcast is on, and at that time, I'm doing this endorsement for Old Grouch's Military Surplus, and I mentioned the ammo cans, and the couple looks at each other and says, that's what we need. And it is, really. These ammo cans are awesome. They're great for storage for your shed, for your garage, for your vehicles, if you've got a work truck. And they come in all sizes. Uh, obviously, yes, you can store your ammo in it, but you can store all sorts of other stuff in it, too. They're really versatile. Uh, he's also got tons of gun accessories. So if you are among the ranks of the uh, new gun owner population in America, he's got a, a wide assortment of slings and magazine pouches and all sorts of accessories. Uh, so head on over to Old Grouch's Military. Military surplus. Oh, also, he's got a new shipment of MREs that came in. These are special types that are made with um, 14 meals instead of the typical two. Uh, and they were special made for government disaster relief agency, a, a particular agency. And um, so it's it's designed to be a week's worth of food, two meals a day, and you being enough calories, you know, for uh, in each case for one week's worth of food per person. So uh, this is perfect for emergencies or just for, you know, camping and hiking. So uh, go on over to Old Grouch's Military Surplus or oldgrouch.com. Shop is open Monday through Saturday, downtown Clyde on Main Street across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. So uh, speaking of political parties, there are two political parties in North Carolina that are no longer recognized as political parties. They were the uh, Constitution Party and the Green Party. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Decertification. That happens when uh, it happens automatically, actually, when a party doesn't get two percent of the entire state's vote for governor or for president in the last general election. This is actually a uh, fun uh, piece of uh, bio info on me, which is uh, I was a registered Republican and then uh, I became a libertarian. This would have been around 2002, I want to say, 2001 time frame, very, you know, 20 years ago. And I registered as a libertarian and then we got decertified <laughs> because they didn't get 2% of the vote. And when that happened, um, I actually the rules were more stringent back then. They had to actually get more than two percent anyway. Uh, so they just made us all unaffiliated. And at that point, I just stayed unaffiliated. I've just never gone back to update my voter registration. So that's how I became an unaffiliated voter. So neither party got uh, the two percent threshold, which that is lower now than it used to be. North Carolina used to have some of the worst, most stringent ballot access laws in the country. And the you know part of the problem here, this creates a cycle of decertification because a new party starts up and they're trying to get, you know, signatures so they can get certified. They need to show a certain amount of support. And uh, that takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of manpower and resources. You got to spend money on that. You got to go around and get the signatures and all that and, and, you know, file the paperwork. So you do all of those things and uh, then you get certified and you're like, yes, OK, now let's start running some candidates. 
And you got some pretty big challenges as a third party, just in general, right? Um, but now you've also spent a lot of time and resources just to get on the ballot. And this was the Libertarian Party's longtime argument uh, against the, the ballot access laws in the state. Uh, and I will say that when Republicans took over, this was one of the things that they relaxed uh, for third parties. But you still, like, you still got to show 2%. And honestly, like, you, you should be able to get 2% of the vote in order to stay on the ballot. Do you think that's a fair number? Or maybe it should just be wide open. There shouldn't be any restrictions. And we should just have like a billion parties. <laughs> Maybe so. Um, let's see here. Do, do, do the Green presidential candidate Howie Hawkins got 12,195 votes or 0.22%. And the Constitution candidate Don Blankenship got 7,549 votes or 0.14% of the vote. The Board of Elections spokesman, this is a story at the News and Observer. A couple of days ago, uh, they quoted the spokesman, Pat Gannon, who said voters of the two parties will automatically be re-registered as unaffiliated. And from there, they have a choice of joining the remaining three parties, Republican, Democratic or Libertarian. They may also remain unaffiliated. A letter sent to the two parties lays out that this can happen no earlier than 90 days after the certification of an election and that the Board of Elections will take up the matter during its meeting this month. All right. So that's that. Uh, what else? Oh. There's an attorney in Raleigh named Josh Howard, and uh, he used to work for, who did he work for? The Board of Elections, I want to say, Josh Howard did. And uh, he has he joined Donald Trump's defense team, uh, and uh, now he's out. <laughs> he, he, yeah, apparently, uh, he says he cannot discuss the situation, but just days after news broke that Josh Howard had joined the team, uh, reports over the weekend uh, that Howard, along with some other attorneys, had left the team amid disagreements over Trump's legal strategies. This, according to Cameron Snipes, the associate editor at the Triangle Business Journal. Reports say Trump wanted his legal team to focus on his baseless claims of mass voter fraud in the November election. Howard, who is an attorney with uh, Gammon Howard and Zestortarsky, Zestortarsky, I think that's how he pronounces it, um, left the team along with lead attorneys Butch Bowers and Deborah Barbier from South Carolina. The impeachment trial is scheduled to begin within days. Um, what else? Oh, this story out of Politico. Thought this was pretty interesting. Former President Donald Trump is blaming the election results on uh, you know election fraud malfeasance, but at the top levels of his campaign, a detailed autopsy report that circulated among his political aides paints a different and more critical portrait of what actually led to his defeat. Now, I know this is not going to be welcome news for some folks, but this is critical, as we you know mentioned with Michael Watley, like when you're winning as a political party or really anything, if you're a team uh, or an individual and you're competing and you're winning, you're, you're you're less likely to change stuff because you're winning. Right. It makes sense to just, you know, keep riding the horse that you were on that got you to the that got you to the race. OK, got you to the so you stay don't don't change horse midstream. You dance with the one that brung you. I was kind of mixing my metaphors there. I apologize. The postmortem, uh, a copy of which was uh, obtained by Politico, says that the former president suffered from voter perception that he wasn't honest or trustworthy. Yes, I am as shocked as you are. <laughs> 
Uh, really? He There was a perception that Donald Trump was not honest or trustworthy and that he was crushed by disapproval of his handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Now, by the way, there are reasons for this. Um, media plays a huge role, right? I always say elections are about what media make them. And so if you have a media a press corps that wants to make an election about uh, the coronavirus pandemic, then uh, and, 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 you know, they cast a critical eye on the administration, then that's going to drive a lot of uh, the narrative in that election cycle. And like, I'm not in I'm not overly critical of Trump in the way he handled the the pandemic. I, I think he was done in by his lack of message discipline. I said that throughout the entire you know, from the very beginning, like he 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 lacks message discipline. And if you're going to go up, like you say what you want about Roy Cooper, like he goes up there and he manages those press conferences in a way that makes him look the best. Now, he obviously, you know, derives benefit from being a Democrat. He, he gets to avoid challenging and critical questions like this assumption is always there among the press corps that what he's doing is for the right reasons and it's for the people and he's ethical and all this. Whereas when it was Trump or really any other Republican there, it's the exact opposite assumption that drives the uh, the criticism or the questioning. Right. It's just a different built in assumption for these different politicians. And so he could have gotten up there. And he could have helped to craft the narrative that what he was doing was good and sufficient and everything else. But look, this was a there were a lot of politicians that got nailed right Their their uh, their handling of it. I mean, even Cooper now is underwater in the polling on his handling of the reopening of schools. This is the thing about crisis management for politicians. You don't ever know how it's going to go. So like you just you got to be seen as taking an active role in the mitigation and response efforts. And I'm not sure he did, Trump did, a good job of promoting himself as up to the task. He may have been. I just don't know if he promoted himself well enough as up to that task. Because whenever he would go to these press conferences, he was usually then just like, you know, railing on all sorts of other stuff, talking about Hillary Clinton and the emails and Russiagate and all this other stuff. And they would just kind of spiral out of control and I don't know that that sends the right message to people when you're trying to tell them that you're in command of the pandemic response when you're off talking about emails and such. Now, uh, I will tell you right now about General Equipment Rental because uh, they're fantastic people over there. And look, this is like this is not new information for people in the area that uh, that know the family and uh, they know the business. Right. Because General Equipment Rental has been in business for three generations. Uh, and so they uh, you know, they've built up this name in the area as good people, great business. And uh, you need to go over and check them out. They support the show. And so uh, I, I highly urge you to go use them for all of your equipment rental needs. They also have uh, Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment. They're your official licensed dealers and service provider for Husqvarna and Honda uh, outdoor power equipment. This is where I'm going to get my uh, outdoor tools uh, when we get the house set up in a couple of months. Um, they also have, you know, air compressors, power tools, earth movers. They've got all of the, the, uh, the tools that you need to get whatever project done, done and done well. Okay, the right tool makes a huge difference, and uh, General Equipment Rental is the right company to get you that tool. 
Okay. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Uh, their website, generalrents.com. Generalrents.com. General Equipment Rental. Think outside your toolbox. So this 27-page report was written by uh, the chief pollster for Donald Trump, Tony Fabrizio. It shows how Trump advisors were privately reckoning with his loss, they say. While Trump spread these accusations of ballot stuffing in heavily black cities, the report notes that he was done in by hemorrhaging support from white voters. It's unclear if Trump has actually seen this report. The findings are based on an analysis of exit polling in 10 states, um, which so take this, you know, from where it's coming from, these are exit polls, uh, exit polls, and apparently exit polls are not exactly the most reliable pieces of information. So just keep that in mind. But uh, this was done in North Carolina, along with Ohio, Texas, Iowa, Florida, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, and Arizona. So these are all of the states that he had to win, right? These battleground states. And the autopsy shows the greatest erosion was with white voters, particularly white men, and that he lost ground with almost every single age group. In the five states that flipped to Biden, Trump's biggest drop-off was among voters ages 18 to 29, and then 65 and older. I was surprised by that. Suburbanites who bolted from Trump after 2016 also played a major role. The report says that the former president suffered a double-digit erosion uh, with white college-educated voters across the board. Meanwhile, advisors to former Vice President Mike Pence brought in multiple pollsters to brief him on their conclusions after the election. Uh, and among the takeaways was that Trump was gaining during the final weeks of the race and that his rallies had propelled, uh, helped propel Republicans running in the House and Senate. But the pollsters also made it clear that while there was substantial support for his policies, there was widespread exhaustion with the president. Within Trump's inner circle, Fabrizio, the pollster, had long espoused the belief that Trump needed to prioritize the pandemic in order to win re-election. That is a wrap for the episode. Thanks so much for letting me be a part of your day. I do appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com and subscribe to the podcast. Think about becoming a patron as well. Thanks so much for the support. We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.